The reading is from Colossians 1, 15 to 20, and if you're following in the Bibles, it's on page 1182. It's also in the service sheet. The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones, powers, rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Hear the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ according to Luke. To you, O Lord. Soon afterwards, Jesus went to a town called Nain, and his disciples and a large crowd went along with him. As he approached the town gate, a dead person was being carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow. And a large crowd from the town was with her. When the Lord saw her, his heart went out to her, and he said, Don't cry. Then he went up and touched the bier they were carrying him on, and the bearers stood still. He said, Young man, I say to you, get up. The dead man sat up and began to talk, and Jesus gave him back to his mother. They were all filled with awe and praised God. A great prophet has appeared among us, they said. God has come to help his people. This news about Jesus spread throughout Judea and the surrounding country. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. I have got um, a short video clip. I'm sure a lot of you will have seen it. It's gone viral on Facebook and Twitter. It was even discussed on uh, Any Answers Radio 4 yesterday. Um, The Archbishop of Canterbury has waded in. Um, It's just been uh, quite a a sensation. So um, taking the bull by the horns, I wanted to play some of of it today for you. Suppose what Oscar believed in as he died, in spite of your protestations, suppose it's all true, Mm. and you walk up to the pearly gates and you are confronted by God. What will Stephen Fry say to him, her, or it? I will basically... That is the odyssey, I think. I'll say bone cancer in children? What's that about? How dare you? How dare you create a world in which there is such misery that is not our fault? It's not right. It's utterly, utterly evil. Why should I respect a capricious, mean-minded, stupid God who creates a world which is so full of injustice and pain? That's what I'd say. And you think you're going to get in on that? No, but I wouldn't want to. I wouldn't want to get in on his terms. Thank you. Wow. Well, I really like Stephen Fry. You know that game you sometimes play of the six people you would most like to invite to dinner? Stephen Fry would be on my guest list because I think he's very clever and very funny. But 
I think in this particular case, he's badly mistaken. I think he's showing anger and arrogance. I agree that I would not worship the God that Stephen Fry describes. But our God, our God, isn't like that. Let's look at our passage from Luke, read to us earlier. If you look, it's on page 8 of your service books or page 1035 of the church Bibles. In this story, Jesus is just arriving at Nairn and he happens to see a large crowd with a widow and they were taking her son to be buried. It may have been hot and Jesus had been travelling He'd come down from Capernaum, Capernaum, I can't pronounce it, somewhere beginning with C. And he must have been tired and thirsty. You could have quite forgiven him for thinking he'll just quietly sit in the shade and chill for a little bit. But this widow was now all alone in our world, without a male protector or provider, which in those in that culture and that time, would have been really quite disastrous. You needed a man to provide economic survival and to protect you. She was not only alone, but she was very vulnerable. To add to her loneliness and sorrow, there would have been the realisation of the end of the family line, which is very important. I think sometimes um, in our British Gentile culture, we don't realise how important the continuance of the male family line is and the family name is in Jewish culture. It is really, really important. So what does Jesus do? We're told his heart went out to her. He approaches this widow And tells her not to cry. You can almost hear the gentleness in his voice as he says it. He then goes and does what in that culture would have been absolutely unthinkable. He touches the dead man's beer. It's like a... You've probably seen them on news clips in the Gaza Strip. It's like a, a stretcher for carrying dead people to their burial ground. So for Jesus to touch this beer would have made him unclean. And yet, he doesn't seem to hesitate. He's faced with a mourning of a widow and human misery. And he doesn't seem, frankly, to have much regard for either his own comfort or the rules when he's faced with this mourning woman. On Jesus' command, the dead man got up and began to speak. There was no doubt that this man was raised from the dead. He was speaking to his friends. Luke calls Jesus Lord at this point. And this is a good description, as he's showing his power over death itself, which is a foretaste of his own resurrection when he will rise from the dead. I am not at all convinced that this is an evil, capricious, monstrous maniac that Stephen Fry describes. Is this a capricious maniac that takes pity on a poor widow and brings her son back to life, apparently for no other motive 
than because he cares and he feels compassion. Is this a horrible Jesus that cries in the later story at his friend's Lazarus' death, that forgives and extends his life, his love to both the friend who has denied him and let him down when he himself was at his most vulnerable, and a criminal who's being crucified next to him? This is a hint of what will happen as Jesus is crucified for us. Compassion and love. Is it a vicious and uninterested God that dies in agony on a cross to make sure that we can mend a broken relationship with God? So what is the result of all this? Immediately, people begin to praise God. And that is how you know someone is speaking the truth. You know what they're saying is right, not that they can form clever arguments or that they are charismatic and that they can tell a good story, but that they will always point to our loving and faithful God. This is not the capricious gods of ancient Greek that Stephen Fry later in that clip seems to think are superior to the God of the Bible, but to a loving, generous and compassionate God who extends his care to a love uh, sorry to a widow and her son so i'm sure the next question is how how did jesus raise this man from the dead well if you'd like to turn to the colossians reading which is in page 7 of your um, service sheets or page 1182 in the church Bibles. It describes and tells us what this was all about. It answers the question, who is this Christ? In verse 15, it says, the Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. The image of the invisible God. Or we could say, it's illuminating God's essence. It's bringing clarity to our ideas and understanding of God. If you like, we can look at Christ and understand what God's nature is like. In Christ, God shows us God's righteousness, his goodness, his wisdom, his power, and his love. Wisdom was regarded as a personification of God, the same essence of him, the breath of his power, the agent of creation. Jesus does not replace God. He makes him known to us. There are further more amazing things Colossians is saying about Christ. In verse 16, for him, that is the son, all things were created. This is an astonishing claim, that Jesus was not only there when the universe was created, but he was the power behind the creation itself. That would mean Jesus and God are one. Jesus, fully human, fully God. God didn't start things off in a big bang and then just withdraw to watch us make a mess of it and suffer. But in Christ, he sustains creation. 
He is creation's rhyme and reason. The reason creation is able to sing. Look at verse 20. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through his blood shed on the cross. That's quite complex, so I'll just unpack it a little. Firstly, God's plan from before creation was to reconcile all things through Christ. So that is, have a good relationship with us, to reach out to us. He was reaching out from the beginning to us. And he hasn't changed his mind. He's still doing it. Secondly, our world is broken. Because we have made mistakes, because we've gone away from God's best, from his plan, from what he was asking us to do. And we've not only brought suffering and difficulty on ourselves, but actually we've broken some of creation. Thus far, I'm almost with Stephen Fry. Yes, things can be difficult. We have got ISIS, we've got global warming, people are suffering, and there's undoubtedly injustice. But thirdly, and for me, this is the hub of it, God sent Jesus, his son, part of him, who has been with him since the earth was born, to die on the cross for us. Because Jesus was fully good, God, and fully human. He could right that brokenness. We already see some of it. There are places where the kingdom of God breaks through, and we can see healings, we see miracles, we see people reconciled, we see wars finish. But this is not the end. Jesus will come again, and at that time, all creation will be healed. We are told the lion will lay down with the lamb. Jesus will rule and there will be peace and justice and joy. I don't believe in Stephen Fry's malicious, capricious God. I believe in Jesus who shows us love and compassion and who is very much involved in our lives and who is with us in the difficulties and suffering as well as in the joys. I believe in the God we have in the Bible, the one true God whose son Jesus rose from the dead. I believe in God who longs to give us wonderful things and who loves us passionately, so passionately that he sent his only son to bridge the gap between God and us and to mend the brokenness of the world. And the proof of it is in verse 18. He is the firstborn from amongst the dead. Jesus rose from the dead. And because of that, we know he is our very present help now. He is with us where we are, reaching out and wanting the best for us. Now, I know you might find this quite amazing, but I am an incredibly shy person I find parties and big gatherings of people very difficult. I would much rather be on my own in a nice quiet room with a book and some music. So when I left home at 18, having been to an all-girls boarding school where 
you know, there was routine and I knew what was happening. Bright lights of London beckoned. And there were parties, there were lots of parties, and it seemed to me you had to join in these parties in order to get to know people. And I soon discovered that the way to survive these parties was not to take a book with me. (laughs) But actually, the more I drank, the more vivacious I got, the more gregarious I got, the more I was able to be the life and soul of the party. And it became a habit. I would party and party and party and drink and drink and drink. I was easy prey. As I say, five years in an all-girls boarding school doesn't really prepare you for the nightlife of London. And uh, there's a famous occasion which some of you may well know. My husband and daughter certainly find it hugely amusing that uh, I was at one party and it was very late. I was aware I had had way too much to drink. And somebody offered me another drink and I said, no, I've, I've reached my limit, I'm fine. And he said, oh, that's okay, have some of this. This is white rum. This is rum with all the alcohol taken out. It's fine. And it wasn't till about half a bottle later I realised I'd been well and truly duped. And I was totally dependent on friends to get me home. I could hardly stand up. It was only a very short step from there. Because alcohol is exhausting, Partying is exhausting. Being a student nurse is exhausting. And I I had a boyfriend. He was very wealthy. He was in oil. And um, he took recreational drugs. And he said, here you are, Carol. This will keep you going. You'll be able to get up and get to work. Okay? So I started taking recreational drugs. And there there was a moment when I woke up one morning... There were days I didn't get to work, I'll be honest. But I woke up one morning and my first thought was, I need a drink before I can get to work. And I have to tell you, thankfully, shock set in. That was a reality check. And although that phase of my life, there are distinctly fuzzy bits, it was on a Sunday morning my friend had sent me, my, my Christian friend, had sent me the little books, I don't know if you know them, Every Day with Jesus, with Bible verses for every day. And I thought, I need, so- I need something besides the alcohol this morning. And I read the verse. And I went to church that day. And I sat there and I desperately wanted what these Christians had. I could see that they were happy I could see that they didn't need the alcohol and the drugs to keep going. I didn't know what it was. It was so frustrating. I could see it, but I didn't know what it was. And after church that day, I went up to somebody who I respected and I said, I'm really struggling here. I love coming to church. And I did. I I loved being part of that worshipping community. I didn't understand it, but I loved it. And even in the worst times, I would get to church. And I said to him, I love coming to church and I want to be part of this. I want whatever it is that you have. But I go home and the rest of the week's a bit rock and roll. 
And then I come back to church on a Sunday and he looked at me and he, he said, he just didn't mince his words. He said, Carol, you have a choice to make. So I went home that night and um, my boyfriend owned the flat. I chucked him out. I threw his things down the stairs. And bless him, in a, in a fit, I think it was the only gentlemanly action he ever made. But he left. Um, I, I think he could see that I was serious about him going. And the next morning, I left. Now, I didn't understand what I was doing. I was a long way from being able to give you any theory about atonement. I was very, very long way from being able to tell you about reduction criticism of the Bible or any other things that I can't even now pronounce, let alone remember what on earth they are. But I knew I wanted Jesus. I don't think that was the moment I became a Christian. I don't know. It was a long, long journey back from that point. But that's where it was. And I'm sure there are a lot of you who perhaps don't have a faith, who think, well, it's okay for them in leadership. It's okay for them that know everything. But believe me, we don't. I'm sure Rob would tell you that we're all on a journey, that you know perhaps more this week than you did last week, that there's a bit more of the Holy Spirit you're letting in this week than you did last week. But none of us, none of us, have got there at all. None of us understand this whole thing. You don't have to understand it to make a commitment. You simply have to want it. I didn't, when I first went to church, I didn't get this sin business. I just thought, they're all wrong. (laughs) What's that all about? Didn't get kneeling down to pray either. I thought that was a bit bizarre. So, if you're in that place today, Sometimes, I don't know if any of you have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. I'm probably dating myself by saying that we used to watch it with the children. But there's a bit where um, Indiana Jones and his party are on one side of a huge crevice. And the ark is on the other side. And he actually has to put his foot down before the bridge appears. He doesn't know that the bridge is going to appear but the bridge doesn't appear. Has anyone seen it? Or am I... Yeah. So, and faith is sometimes a bit like that, that you have to put your foot out and say, actually, I want this. I see this. I don't understand it. I don't get it. But I want it. And that's all Jesus wants. That's all he wants. What I'd like to do is just lead us in a prayer. I'm not going to embarrass anyone. You don't have to say anything out loud. But just if you want to, say, repeat this prayer in your hearts as I say it. And all I would say to you is if you do say this prayer, perhaps for the first time today, let somebody know. Either if you trust the person you've come with, just let them know just as you're praying, and they can pray for you too. Or come to Pads or me or Kirsty or any of the leadership team after the service. We would love to pray with you. We would love to keep in contact. We would love to help you a little on that journey. So if we could all just close our eyes so you can't see anybody praying. (laughs) And I'll lead us in prayer.
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the gift of your Son, Jesus. Thank you that you love us more than anything else, more than we can understand. And Father, we're sorry when sometimes we get things badly wrong. We're sorry when we don't understand what it is we should do. But Lord Jesus, today we want to invite you into our hearts to take us forward on our journey. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.